Shalom. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Emmaus Road Fellowship, where we encounter Yeshua in the scriptures. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org, where you'll find additional teachings and information on visiting us in Kingwood, Texas. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving to support Emmaus Road's mission of spreading the good news of the kingdom. May God grant you shalom in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. This week, I felt like the main, I guess really the main message is that God has an open hand. It's funny, we, we talked a little bit about this topic on uh, Tuesday night at our men's fellowship. And I had been thinking on the same topic leading into it. So I found it interesting. I was like, well, surely that's going to come into this week's message. And as I was going through the message, getting ready, it's like, well, it's, it's just not happening. And then it came around and I saw how the Lord was going to work it in. So <laughs> it's funny how all that works. But um, okay, so today we'll start in Psalm 24, 1. Yeah, Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all those who dwell therein. And the big thing here is that the entire creation is the Lord's. It belongs to him. And why is that, right? Why does it all belong to him? Well, it's because he created everything. Right? The scripture tells us that, that God created all things. He's made all things, and there's nothing that has come into existence that did not come to existence but through him. And so he has... He has created all things, and they're his possession. Now, what does he do with what's his, right? Well, he shares it with those who he's created in his image, right? And it's, he shares it with those that he loves. In Psalm 145, verses 14 through 16, this passage um, is where we see his hand, and I think my computer stopped working, so here we go, Psalm 145, verse 14 through 16 says, the Lord sustains all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down, the eyes of all look to you, and you do give them their food in due time, you open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing, so it's through his hand that he satisfies the desire of every living thing. He gives abundantly, but even though he gives abundantly, he doesn't surrender ownership, right? So he bestows blessings upon us. He bestows that which we need. He gives us all that we need to prosper and to live, but yet he still is the owner of all things. And every good, perfect gift certainly comes from above. Now, in this, this week's portion, we actually have a double portion. It's Behar and Behukotai. And, and in this portion, we're going to talk about the Sabbaths, the, the seven-year Sabbaths, right, the Shemitah, and then the 50th-year Sabbath, which is the Yovel, the Jubilee. And God tells them that when they come into the, to the land that he's giving to them, that they will observe the Shemitah, they will let the land rest on every seventh year, right? But then in Leviticus 25, 23, okay, well, actually, okay, so, and, and to lead into that a little bit more, within the aspect of, of the rules that God lays out for how the land is to rest and how the Jubilee is to come every 50th year, there's aspects in which... Um, there's aspects in which the land gets restored back to the original owner, okay? And so the land is sold for periods of time, okay? In Leviticus 25, 23, the Lord says that the land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine. You are sojourners and residents with me, All right? So he says, I'm, I'm going to give the children of Israel the land, and now... That becomes your ancestral heritage that is yours to be passed down from generation to generation to stay within your family. Even if you become impoverished such that you have to sell it for a time, you're still going to get it back. But even when you get it back, it's still God's, right? 
Everything belongs to God. It's all his. But within his possession, he carves out portions that he designates as special or holy, right? We've talked about this in the past few weeks about how God has set apart a people, the children of Israel, as a holy nation unto himself. He set apart a land, the land of Israel, that he calls his own. And he set aside a city, Jerusalem, that he calls his own and said that he would place his name. But what else, you know, does God own or have entirely that he then sets apart times for or sets apart as special? And that would be times. Within time, he sets, up, sets things apart and they are his Sabbaths. We have his weekly Sabbath on every seventh day of the week. And then there are days of the year, the Moedim that we spoke about last week that are done on an annual basis. And now this week we see that God also sets apart years among years. Every seventh year is a Sabbath. And then every 50th year is a Sabbath. So they're set, they're set apart, special. And everything, like we said last week, has its Sabbath, right? And the Sabbath, the Sabbath looks forward to the coming redemption. It looks forward to the Messianic era. It's the rest that we look forward to, that we're looking to enter into. And when we celebrate God's Sabbaths, we're prophetically proclaiming the coming restoration, the coming time that Yeshua will reign from Jerusalem and that we will experience rest and restoration to a greater degree than we've ever seen. Now in Leviticus 26, 1 through 2, the Lord says, My Sabbath shall you observe, and my sanctuary shall you revere. I am the Lord. His, he says that we shall revere his Sabbaths, or we shall, excuse me, we shall observe his Sabbaths and revere his sanctuary, right? And both the Sabbaths and the sanctuary, again, are looking forward to the same aspect, where God's presence will dwell here on the earth among men. Right? In that ultimate Sabbath, that set, well, which is actually, you know, you want to speak about another Sabbath in time, the seventh millennium. <laughs> There's six millenniums that are set apart for man, and the seventh millennium is set apart for the reign of the Messiah. Okay, so we're going to come back to that part, but let's go to Leviticus 25, 1 through 22. The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you, the land shall observe a Sabbath rest for the Lord. For six years you may sow your field, and for six years you may prune your vineyard, and you may gather in its crop. But the seventh year shall be a complete rest for the land, a Sabbath for the Lord. Your field you shall not sow, and your vineyard you shall not prune. The aftergrowth of your harvest you shall not reap, and the grapes you had set aside for yourself you shall not pick. It shall be a year of rest for the land. The Sabbath produce of the land shall be yours to eat for you, for your slave, and for your maidservant, and for your laborer, and for your resident who dwell with you, and for your animal, and for the beast that is in your land shall all its crop, shall all its crop be to eat. You shall count for yourself seven cycles of sabbatical years, seven years, seven times. The years of the seven cycles of sabbatical years shall be for you 49 years, and you shall sound a broken blast on the shofar in the seventh month on the tenth of the month. On the day of atonement, you shall sound the shofar throughout your land. You shall sanctify the 50th year and proclaim freedom throughout the land for all its inhabitants. It shall be the jubilee year for you. You shall return each man to his ancestral heritage, and you shall return each man to his family. It shall be a jubilee year for you this 50th year. You shall not sow, you shall not harvest its aftergrowth, and you shall not pick what was set aside of it for yourself. For it is a jubilee year. It shall be holy to you. From the field you may eat its crop. In this jubilee year, you shall return each man to his ancestral heritage. Okay, I'm going to stop there. Okay, but the Lord goes on to say in verse 18, You shall perform my decrees and observe my ordinances and perform them. Then you will dwell securely on the land. The land will give its fruit and you will eat your fill. You will dwell securely upon it. If you will say, What will we eat in the seventh year? Behold, we will not sow and not gather in our crops. I will ordain my blessing for you in the sixth year, and it will yield a crop sufficient for the three-year period. You will sow in the eighth year, but you will eat from the old crop until the ninth year. Until the arrival of its crops, you will eat the old. 
Okay. So within this passage, there's a, several parallels that we can see, right? You, you see the, the seventh year is a Sabbath that is set apart just like the seventh day of a week, right? And just as the manna was in the wilderness, on the sixth day, God rained down enough manna such that the children of Israel would have enough provision for the seventh day when no manna would be provided, right? Here, God says that in the sixth year, he will cause the crops to be so abundant that even though the children of Israel do not sow and plant in the seventh year, they will have all the provision they need, provided they trust in his provision, trust that he is the God of all creation, that he is sovereign over everything and will provide as he has said that he would. Now, it's very hard for us to, to get into the mindset that God can provide even when we rest, right? Because that's foreign to our culture. Our culture is one of, well, if you're not working, you're not eating, right? Well, I guess it has been that way in the past. It's becoming less so that now. But, but the idea is that if you're, going to, if you're going to succeed, you're going to work every opportunity that you can, right? To, to take a day off is counter to the way that, that normal society would think of how to prosper, of how to have God's provisions poured out upon you. But that's precisely what he says that he will do, is that he says he will provide an abundance beyond what the norm should be if you will just listen to his, his word. Right? He set apart that seventh day and said, I've created seven days on which, you, on which work theoretically could be done. But I've given these six days for you to work on and to produce. But on the seventh day, I've restricted you from working. I've said, no, you, you will take a rest. And in that time of resting, we've talked in the past few weeks about how it's a greater encounter with the Lord, greater revelation of, of him. It's also a time for us to really purify ourselves of that which has been built up over the week. Even the mindset that everything that, that we have comes from the sweat of our brow and the work of our hand. Right? There has to be that renewal to say, no, wait, it's actually by the hand of God that I prosper. It's by the hand of God that my works are successful. And having that day of rest and then having that year of rest helps us to reconnect to who it is that gives us all of the provision and sustains us in all that we, in all that we need, right? It's kind of like in the Garden of Eden, right? God said he, plant, he planted the garden and he placed man in the Garden of Eden. And he said, of all the trees that I've planted here, surely you will eat except this one tree over here. God said, I created in abundance all you could need. I've even given you the tree of life to eat from. But don't eat from this one over here. And it's when we say, no, 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 actually, I, I, I want it all. I want even what you've set apart away from me. When we, when we pursue that, that's when we encounter death. When we pursue what God has given within his parameters, we have an abundance of life and blessing. Yes. It makes me think of how he showed us this even in our daily cycle of needing to sleep. Like you can think, oh, if I just sleep less, I can do more. But that's built into us that that is unhealthy to, to not sleep. Yeah, so Heather was saying that he even shows that daily that when we, you know, we need sleep, right? But we also need to be productive. And so if we reduce our sleep, in order to be more productive, then we will actually suffer uh, health problems, right? We actually need that period for our body to cleanse and restore, right? So weekly, we need a cleansing and restoring, annually a cleansing and restoring, and the daily as well, right? And, and, the, and you know, we mentioned that everything has its Sabbath. Animals, people, uh, and we see here this week, the land has to have its Sabbath as well. And I find interesting, you know, that in, this, in the scriptures, God talks about the importance of the land, and, and I'm probably getting things 
out of order here, but the land specifically, God says he's going to bring the children of Israel into the land and give it to them as an eternal heritage. And then in Leviticus 18, he warns that if you do all of these defiling practices of the people who were in the land before you, the land will vomit you out. The land will vomit you out, right? And so there's an aspect where the defilement built up within the land actually causes destruction for the inhabitants of the land. Now, the the inhabitants of the land, of course, they had their part in creating the defilement, but then the fact that they created the defilement, it actually brings curses upon them just naturally, such that the land would vomit them out. And in in uh, 2 Chronicles... uh, which one? Did, I can't remember where it is now. 714, 2 Chronicles 714, right? The scripture says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from them their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Interesting, right? That God puts that in there as well, that he's going to heal the land on top of forgiving the sin. Because... The healed land will then produce blessing for the inhabitants who have humbled themselves and repented, right? We really can't separate ourselves from the rest of creation that God has given us, right? What we do can actually build up the land and have it, have it be a blessing unto us or through our profaning the name or, or turning away from God, we can actually curse the land and have it vomit us out, right? Now, granted, God was speaking specifically to the land of Israel, but, but let's just say it can actually cause the land to be a curse unto us such that it does not produce the way God intended for it to produce for us. But God's intention was for an abundance of provision that would come, come to us. And so he calls for us to hearken to his voice, to hear his voice, to respond to him and to obey his commandments so that we will walk in that, in that provision. Now, within our portion today in Leviticus 26, there is a, a list of admonitions that are given to the children of Israel. Actually, there's, there's both blessings and there's admonitions mentioned in Leviticus 26. And there's one other place in the scripture where admonitions or a long list of admonitions are given, and that's Deuteronomy 28. With the, with the, that it result from a failure to keep the covenant. And the rabbis looked at these two passages of admonitions and they said, well, these aren't talking about the same situation. In one case, it's talking about the first temple here in Leviticus, but Deuteronomy 28 is talking about the second temple. And it's really, it really is fascinating to look at the admonitions of Leviticus 26 and to compare it to the destruction of the first temple and the exile to Babylon, um, which we aren't going to go into that story greatly, but you know the, the exile to Babylon was for 70 years. Okay? And the prophet Jeremiah recognized that 70 years would be the time of the exile because it had been 490 years from the time the children of Israel came into the land until the time of the destruction of the temple. And during that time, there would have been 70 sabbatical years. But no sabbatical years had ever been observed by the children of Israel. So they had to be exiled from the land for 70 years so that, it's le- so that the land would have its rest and could be purified. Yes. Oh. Okay, so if they... Um we're in the land for 490 years, and you figured out that they'd be out for 70. What about the 50th Jubilee year? How does that... I'm trying to figure out the math, because that leaves 10 years unaccounted for. There's a dispute on... Well, okay, so the Jubilee is said to never have been observed. Um, and there's a dispute as to what the 50th year should be. So should it be seven periods of seven years being 49, and then the 50th year is taken off as a jubilee, and then you begin the sevens again? Or is it that the, you do the 49, 
And then the 50th year is Jubilee, but it's also the first year of the next cycle. So I don't know what the true answer is, right? There's a dispute as to, to, as to what it is. Yeah, it could be. It's like, we, we need the rest. I mean, and so there is an accounting for that that needs to take place, right? And, and there would be great blessing in the keeping of the Sabbath year, or the sabbatical year, the Shemitah, and in keeping the 50th year Jubilee, and however it is that it's supposed to be kept, right? <laughs> um, but I hope that answers your question. But that, that's the... So actually, in the, according to that, if it was 490 years and there were those seven, 70 years as a result, then it would imply that the 49 years and then the first year, the next cycle is the Jubilee would be the correct one. Hmm. So there you go. That's, that's the side I'm going to weigh in on for whatever my opinion's worth, which is not going to count for much right here. <laughs> okay, so um, now, so in the Jubilee year, Freedom is proclaimed throughout all the land for all the inhabitants. Those who had been slaves are, are set free. Land is returned to its ancestor, ancestral heritage, so those who had been impoverished and lost their land now get it restored back to them. Debts are forgiven. Loans are canceled. Wow. It, it's, it is a great renewal. No 30-year mortgages. No 30-year, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, yeah, there's even... Even with the aspect of if you're going to sell your land, the scripture says that you count up the years that are left until the jubilee to, to figure out the value of the land because someone shouldn't buy you for the permanent value of the land. They should just be buying however many crops they're going to get. Right. So it's a, it's a great renewal. Those who were without hope have their hope restored, have a new chance, a new beginning. Right. So it's pretty exciting. So land has its rest. And we know in Romans 8, the scripture talks about how all creation groans. Right? All creation groans. Longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Right? And that revealing of the sons of God comes with the light of Yeshua. Okay? Now, all right. So let's go forward to Leviticus 26. We're not gonna, we'll read, okay, yeah, we're going to go ahead and read, uh, verses, starting in verse 1. As you know, we're going to start in verse 3. Leviticus 23, verse 3. If you will follow my decrees and observe my commandments and perform them, then I will provide your rains and their time, and the land will give its produce, and the tree of the field will give its fruit. Your threshing will last until the vintage, and the vintage will last until the sowing. You will eat your bread to satiety, and you will dwell securely in your land. Now, if you think about the context of, of what we're reading here, God has just gone through and given the instructions of the Shemitah and the Jubilee, right? He's given the instructions. He said, now, if you will listen to my commands and do them, which very much includes the Shemitah and the Jubilee, then he's going to pour out all these blessings, right? He says, I will provide peace in the land and you will lie down with none to frighten you. I will cause wild beasts to withdraw from the land and a sword will not cross your land. You will pursue your enemies and they will fall before you by the sword. Five of you will pursue a hundred and a hundred of you will pursue 10,000 and your enemies will fall before you by the sword. I will turn my attention to you and I will make you fruitful and increase you. I will establish my covenant with you. You will eat very old grain and remove the old grain to make way for the new. I will place my sanctuary among you and my spirit will not reject you. I will walk among you. I will be God unto you and you will be a people unto me. I am the Lord your God who took you out of the land of Egypt from being their slaves. I broke the staves of your yoke and I led you upright. So there's his blessings, right? Which notice culminates with his sanctuary being among them and him walking among them. Okay. But then on the flip side, if you will not listen to me and will not perform all these commandments, if you consider my decrees a loathsome, and if your being rejects my ordinances so as not to perform all com my commandments so that you annul my covenant, then I will do the same to you. I will assign upon you panic 
swelling lesions, and burning fever, which causes eyes to long and souls to suffer. You will sow your seeds in vain, for your enemies will eat it. I will turn my attention against you, and you will be struck down before your enemies. Those who hate you will subjugate you. You will flee with no one pursuing you. And despite, if despite this you do not heed me, then I shall punish you further seven ways for your sins. And I'm not going to continue to read, but if you would continue to read, there are escalating punishments, ex- escalating consequences for failure to heed the original signs that God is sending to turn his people back in repentance, right? These difficulties that God is saying that he will allow or send forth onto the children of Israel are for the purpose of his children recognizing their sin, recognizing the sin of their forefathers, repenting and turning from them back to God's ways, right? That's what Yeshua's message was, was don't think that just because you're still here in the land that all your forefathers have been doing right and that you're doing right. Instead, recognize the error that you are walking in because destruction is coming and it's only going to get worse if you will not heed the call and repent. But again, all the judgments, all these things are for the purpose of bringing restoration and reconciliation of right relationship between God and man. So, here in the scripture where it had said, God said, I will place my sanctuary among you and I will walk among you. The rabbis understood this to be speaking about a restoration of the Garden of Eden. Okay? Which, you know, you can think about it. It's like, okay, well, when God planted the, the garden, it was, it was temple-like, or actually the temple was like it. And God's presence was there, and he would walk in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve, right? So you, you can see that connection. And Rashi says that when he says, and I will walk, you, walk with you, that it means I shall stroll with you in the Garden of Eden as if I were one of you, and you will not be terrified of me. Now, one might think that you will, that by meaning, or that you might think that you will not, you will not fear me. But Scripture, therefore, says and be your God, right? So I'll walk among you and be your God. So what Rashi was saying is that God will walk in our midst, but we will not be terrified of him, but yet we will still revere him, okay? So when Adam and Eve, when when Adam and Eve heard God walking in the garden, what did they do? They hid because they were terrified, right? Why were they terrified? Because of their sin, because of their sin, they knew they were naked and they were ashamed and they went and they hid. So for us, for God to be in our presence and for us not to be terrified, what has to happen? We have to have sin removed. We have to be forgiven our sin. But yet even then, within that state of forgiveness, we still recognize that he is still our God. And we revere him and honor him. Now there's, there's more to the connection that's, that's laid out here between... Leviticus 26 and the Garden of Eden. And so I want to I show this to you. You know, we, we've talked about the chiasms, how, about how something will start out and it'll go. You'll see several things take place in a sequence and then they'll reverse back to the original. This isn't exactly that, but it's, uh, it's related because common elements are showing up in Leviticus 26 that showed up in the exact opposite order in Genesis 1. So in Leviticus 26, 2, now I tell you what, no. In Leviticus 26, 4, okay, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Sorry, guys. I'm going to go to Genesis 1. I think I can find that quickly. Okay, Genesis 1, verse 28, God blessed man and woman. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it or conquer it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of the earth and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you. And to, and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the sky and to everything that moves on the earth, which has life, I have given every green plant for you. And it was so, okay. 
So here, here's the blessing that, that God gave to man. Now over here in Leviticus 26, 4, the scripture says, I will provide your rains in their time and the land will give its, give its produce and the tree of the field will give its fruit. Okay? Well, that corresponds to the second half of Genesis 1, 29, which says the, the, every tree which has fruit yielding seed. And then Leviticus 26, 5, he says, your threshing will last until the vintage. And it goes on to say, you will eat your bread to satiety. Okay? Which that corresponds to Genesis 1.29a, which is speaking of every plant yielding its seed, which is then used to create bread. Okay? And then Leviticus 26.6 says that I will provide peace in the land. You will lie down with none to frighten. You will cause wild beasts to withdraw from the land. Okay? Well, if you back up in Genesis Genesis 1, 28. Man is told that they will rule over all the beasts of the earth, right? So the beasts don't have power over them. And then if you back up a little bit, the, the thing right before ruling over them was to conquer the land, to subdue it, okay? Which ties back to a sword will not cross your land. You will pursue your enemies. You will conquer in Leviticus 26. And then... In Leviticus 26, 9 says, I will turn my attention to you and I will make you fruitful and multiply you. And that's the first part of Genesis 1, 28. So they're, they're in reverse order. The blessings given to man in Genesis 1, 28 are shown in reverse here in Leviticus 26. So these blessings were given to man and then the Sabbath was given, Right? Well, if you go back in Leviticus 26 and go jump back up to verse 2, God says, you will keep my Sabbaths. <laughs> now, granted, the Sabbath in, in Genesis 2 was not given to man to, uh, as a command to keep, but God had established the Sabbath and made it holy at that point in time. So all these were, were connected, but it's a restoration of what was lost. And so God's giving the message that through his commandments that he has given to man, he's going to bring about a restoration. The restoration of the land, restoration of lives and the increase of provision and increase of fruitfulness and productivity will come through heeding God's voice because it's he who is the provider, the one who will pour out the blessings. And ultimately culminating with him setting his tabernacle among us, and then walking among us again at the beginning, leading to the ultimate restoration. Okay, so I'm going to have to wrap up here shortly, but you know, we, we sang earlier about the removal of idols and all of the things that can be a hindrance to us, and we were asking for God to remove those such that we can be new wineskins, that we can be filled with his goodness. And part of this is, again, renewing our minds to the aspect that God is the creator of all, the provider who knows our every need, who works outside of the constraints that we see in this world of how our provision should come. The manna was multiplied on the sixth day. The, the crops produce multi, you know, double or actually even triple, potentially, in the sixth year when the Shemitah is coming. And so, too, is all the other gifts that we receive from God, right? Ones that we don't always, you know, perceive or recognize. But one, too, that, that stands out and has stood out, was highlighted to me, highlighted to Michael, was a good discussion this, this week as well at our men's meeting was the aspect about how even our finances are gifts from God, right? Because when we take the rest, that's a financial detriment, right? Because that's one day or one year, if you're in the land of Israel, right? That you are giving up provision, and yet God says, no, I'm going to make up for the provision. I'm going to take that which you think you're giving up, and I'm going to restore it. And give you all that you need. So we're just recalling the idea from Psalm 145 that God gives food in due time and he opens his hand to satisfy our every need. 
So even with our money and with our offerings, it's the same thing. When we cling to our money, we find that we don't have the abundance of provision. But when we're gracious or generous as God is generous, then we find that he pours out abundance. And even in that aspect of giving, we're releasing some of our control. We're releasing some of what we think we need to do and hang on to to provide. There was a guy named Buddy Hicks that some of you may have heard about before. But one time he brought me this, uh, this set of furniture, or this outdoor patio furniture that he had been given. So it was given to him, and then he gave it to me, and, and, he, and he said something that I've always remembered. He said, if you can give it, I can get it to you. He said, he said that's what the Lord told me. If you can give it, I can get it to you. So it's like, okay. So in other words, that which you receive, you can still you can feel free to give as the Lord leads because he can give it back to you or he can give you whatever it is that you need and he can supply abundantly beyond what we think or we ask. So like with the tree of the garden of, with the trees in the garden, right? When Adam and Eve reached for the one that they thought would be good for them outside of what God said, it was death to them, right? But God says, no, that's mine. You stay in this realm. Stay in your six days of work. The seventh day is a day of rest. That he says, I give you this provision. All this provision you have is from me, but the tithe is mine. Right? The Lord says the tithe is his. So even though he's given you money, he's still the owner of it, right? And I've, I'm sure we've all heard the stories about how we're stewards of what God's given us, right? And part of what he has given us, he asks us to give to him. And then what he takes, what we give to him, and he actually gives it back. <laughs> Not just to us, but to others, right? And for, for others, for, uh, for the service of the kingdom, for spreading the kingdom, uh, for taking the, the kingdom to other areas, it's beautiful. But in Malachi 3, 7 through 12, we, we get a good picture of this. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes, and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. This sounds familiar with what we're talking about in our portion, right? That if you don't listen, then difficulties come, right? But in this case, he says, Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, How shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, How have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, in your tithes and your teruma, right? The teruma bringing the free will offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be found food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. He will pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. And this, doesn't, this isn't just limited to the idea of, of finances, right? It, God can restore the time that we've set aside to dedicate to him. He can restore the finances that we've given unto him. He will take that which we give and he will multiply it back to us because it's his desire to be generous. He created all things and said, here, come, partake of it, right? Let me, let me bless you. Listen to me so that I can pour out blessing upon you. And so that's his desire is to pour that out. Okay, so... As we're wrapping up here on this, we're looking forward, of course, to the coming restoration. God, said, God tells us that part of the restoration, not the full equation, right? But part of, the, of the, what will bring about the restoration is the repenting, turning to him, 
and listening to his commandments and doing that which will allow for the purification to take place. Purification in our minds, purification in the land, purification in relationships, such that we can experience that restoration in the now and be building up towards the return of Yeshua to the ultimate jubilee. Right? And this is from, uh, from our gospel reading. I just want to go to Luke 4 as we wrap up. In Luke 4, starting in 14, Yeshua returned to the Galilee in in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout all the surrounding district. And he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogues on Shabbat and stood up to read. And in the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed, the book of Isaiah was written to, was handed to him. He opened the book and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and to set free those who are downtrodden, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been, been fulfilled in your hearing. So here's Yeshua speaking of how he has been sent to proclaim this release, to bring about this restoration, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, the Jubilee. Right? He's like, the Jubilee hasn't been observed, but yet I am going to bring about the Jubilee. Right? I am going to proclaim release to the captives. You are going to see the reset of the world, the restoration of the world under the righteous reign of the Messiah. And right now we are in the first fruits of it and we look forward and we hope in the coming, the return of Yeshua where we will see the fullness and hear that shofar blast on the Day of Atonement. So in the Messianic era, in the reign of Yeshua, the children of Israel return to their ancestral land. The covenant is renewed in full. Sins are forgiven and all Israel will be saved in the true year of Jubilee. Now in Psalm 145, Verses 8 to 14, 8 to 13, excuse me. This kind of caps off what we're speaking of. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and great in loving kindness. The Lord is good to all and his mercies are over all his works. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and, and, the, and your godly ones shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power to make known to the sons of men your mighty acts and the glory of the majesty of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. Amen. And as we close up this, uh, as we close up today, let's go to Leviticus 27, verse 30 to 34, and we will conclude the reading of the book of Leviticus and next year we'll begin Numbers. Okay. Any tithe of the land, of the seed of the land, of the fruit of the tree belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. If a person shall redeem some of his tithe, he shall add its fifth to it. Any tithe of cattle or of the flock, any that passes under the staff, the tenth one shall be holy to the Lord. He shall not distinguish between good and bad, and he should not substitute for it. And if he does substitute for it, then it and its substitute shall be holy. It may not be redeemed. These are the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses to the children of Israel on Mount Sinai. And all together, chazak, chazak, vanit chazek. Be strong, be strong, and may we be strengthened. Amen. Um, let me say a quick prayer, and then Michael's going to come up and talk to us about the new month. So Lord, thank you for your goodness and your kindness. Thank you, Lord, that your hand is open to pour out your blessing and your provision on us. Thank you, Lord, that you have shown us what is good shown us your grace, your mercy, and your compassion, and have called us to come to you. Help us, Lord, to have renewed minds, Lord, that we would see that you are our ultimate provider. Lord, that we would be responsive to your teaching, that we would heed your voice, and we would give you honor and glory and praise, and that we would proclaim your good works among others that they would see. 
and behold and taste of your kingdom. Lord, we bless you and thank you in the name of Yeshua. Amen. All right, <clears throat> so we are coming into the new month of Sivan uh, in the year 5781. Um, <clears throat> and Sivan actually begins at two, this coming Tuesday at sundown, so we're celebrating our Rosh Kodesh lunch today. Uh, Sivan is the third month on the biblical calendar, counting from Nisan, and is a month that always has 30 days. So traditionally, you always will observe Rosh Kodesh for only one day whereas some months could have 29 or 30 days, and traditionally you would celebrate Rosh Chodesh for two days. Sivan uh, means radiance or covering, and it can also mean season or time. And the blessing for Sivan is covenant. And as we're looking at this, the areas of healing uh, that are traditionally focused on within this month are mental division, double-mindedness, and internal conflict. So within that, the spiritual actions to focus on and to take this month are to meet with God, which is always a good one to do every month, right? But specifically this month, to meet with God and to seek him for healing in these specific areas, in the areas of double-mindedness, uh, mental division, and internal conflict. Uh, also to uh, focus in on setting healthy boundaries in our lives, um, within our, ourselves, our homes, and with others and to take our inheritance. It's a time to step into our inheritance. The Hebrew letter Zayin is also associated with the month of Sivan. And the Zayin pictures receiving mercy for completion. So when we're talking about stepping into our inheritance, you know, thinking about mercy to, uh, to complete things, to, to step into the promised land in our lives and to step in and take our inheritance. There's an anointing for that this month. Um, again, the months are all traditionally associated with various things. One of the things that the months are associated with are the 12 tribes of Israel. And the month of Sivan is traditionally associated with the tribe of Zebulun. And the uh, tribe of Zebulun was noticed for their ability in business as business people. Uh, so Sivan is considered the, the month of the business person. And within that, God, you know, even if we're not, we don't consider ourselves business people, God wants to do business with us this month. Um, so let's, let's focus in on that. Uh, some notable days as well in Sivan. The second day of Sivan is called Yom Hameyukas, or the Day of Distinction, because on this day the Jewish people agreed to accept the Torah. Uh, and upon their acceptance, Moses instructed the people to prepare themselves, right, to become a, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And this was in Exodus 19. On the third day as well, the day after this um, of the month, Moses instructed the people to set up the perimeter around Mount Sinai and to prepare themselves for the coming revelation that would be three days later. Uh, and these are called the days of separation, the three days of separation. And this three is significant. The, the Talmud says, Blessed be our God who has, who has given a threefold Torah, the Torah, prophets, and writings, to a threefold nation, the Kohanim, Levites, and the Israelites, through one who was the third, Moses being the third born, right, after uh, Aaron and Miriam in the third month. So the first five days of Sivan anticipate the Torah that was revealed and given on the sixth of Sivan at Shavuot or Pentecost. And so this is really the culmination, of course, of the month of Sivan. Um, and this occurred exactly seven weeks after the exodus from Egypt. So within that uh, period of seven weeks, we're counting the days, which is the, the counting of the Omer, the 49 days or seven weeks leading up to Shavuot. So again, this is a time to do business with God throughout that process as we, we look inward and we walk through these various aspects of, of refinement. Um, this time is also known as Zaman Matan Tenu, or the time of the giving of the Torah. And on the night of Shavuot itself, it's customary to stay up all night studying the Torah. I've yet to make it all night. There's probably some uh, here that are holier than I that have done that. Um, but it is a time to definitely focus on um, the study of the Torah. And <clears throat> within this, this custom is called uh, Tikkun Leel Shavuot, or the rectification for Shavuot night. 
Um, and it was instituted as a remedy for Israel's failure to be awake and ready the morning of Shavuot to receive the revelation of God. Uh, it says that the Midrash scolds the people who overslept on the morning of the revelation and who needed to be roused by the heavenly shofar blast, loud thunder and lightning to salute the king. So we want to be ready in anticip- anticipation for the coming of the king, right? We don't want to have to be jolted awake. We want to be looking and, and ready for the shofar blast, like Mike was talking about. The shofar blast might not be too far off. And again, so for followers of Yeshua, of course, we're also celebrating the giving, the pouring out of the, the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, right, that was poured out on the disciples on this very day, the same day that the Torah was given. So they received the, the written Torah spoken to them at Sinai and Shavuot, and then the, the Torah that's being written on our hearts through the Holy Spirit as well at Shavuot. So again, this is a month to be awake, to be alert, and to be ready to receive revelation from the king and to dig deep in the Torah and in fellowship with the Holy Spirit, and also to do business with him as we prepare our hearts. So I'm going to go ahead and say the blessing for the month for us, although we're a few days early, of course, so feel free to say it on the actual night as well. Yehi ratzon milfanecha Adonai Eloheinu velohe avotenu shetechadesh aleinu chodesh tov ba'adonenu Yeshua HaMashiach. Amen. May it be your will, Lord our God and God of our fathers, that you renew for us a good month in our Lord Yeshua the Messiah. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas.